Welcome to Texans Unfiltered. Here we go, here we go! A Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. All right, guys, welcome back to another edition of Texans Unfiltered, a Houston football podcast for your Houston Texans. I am young Ari Gold, and I am actually joined by my friend and co-host, John Wayne, the Garnet Texan, this week. And, John, what a big, big W yesterday. Oh, and uh, before we hop into that, make sure you guys go to RunGameClothing.com, RunGameClothing.com, use promo code UNFILTERED. Run Game Clothing is where you find all your Houston sports apparel and swag. RunGameClothing.com is a proud sponsor of Texans Unfiltered. Uh, use promo code UNFILTERED at checkout for 15% of your order. All right, back to uh, what a game yesterday, John. No, that, that game was kind of important. Um, sorry about last week. As much as I'd like to say I just was too embarrassed by the team to actually get on the podcast, it was more family obligations, you know, it kind of – Having a, having a toddler can be the best thing in your life. It can also be one of the hardest things in your life sometimes. And last week was one of the harder times. But it's all right. And, you know, nobody wanted to really talk about the Broncos. Nobody really wanted to listen to that. We're just going to forget that game ever even happened. Yeah, I'm surprised I was able to talk for an hour and ten minutes about it by myself. Yeah, I have no idea how you did that. <laughs> I have no idea how I did that either. Uh, but, yeah, there's a... Uh, all right, so the game yesterday, it was a great game. Uh, the team showed up in pretty much all phases. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I really didn't expect for Will Fuller to have a huge game. But when you talk about the impact of Will Fuller and what he brings to the offense and what opposing defenses have to game plan for, it's really, really interesting when you just take into consideration, like, our offense literally is completely different when Will Fuller, when Will Fuller is on the field. Yeah, and it's not just what he does for the passing offense. It's also what he does for the run game. He just pulls more bodies out of the middle of the field, which allows, you know, everybody to kind of get going. I mean, I think with with Will, you know, yesterday five catches, 61 yards. It's not like one of those game-breaking days, but it's a day where, you know, the clutch catches they came when they were needed, when when we needed them most. Another weapon that Deshaun trusts, which he tends to go through his progressions and and actually see the field a little bit better when Will Fuller's on the field, but. Um, you know, a big game yesterday, just exactly what this team needed. I had no doubts in my mind that this would be a game that we show up for. Um, it's really funny, and we'll get into it a little bit later uh, in the podcast, but it's, it's, it's strange how the narrative around Bill O'Brien has changed in the sense of in previous years, we'll beat the really bad teams and we'll beat them, you know, very solidly. And then we'll lose to the really good teams. And then it's like this year we lose to the bad teams, but then we really put it down on the good teams. Um, you was, know, and I'll I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that over the previous uh, things that were happening in the seasons. Yeah, it was um, 
it was a stat that I had for last week's podcast, so I've, and then, of course, life happened, so I don't remember it exactly. But essentially there's this narrative around Bill O'Brien that he always – that he would lose the teams that we were even favored to beat, which was completely untrue. I think at one point where Texans were out considered outright winners, which is more than three points, he was 6-0 and in his tenure. And in the NFL, granted – there's not many games because there's so much parity where you ever consider yourself an outright favorite. And it's also kind of something that you have to take a step back and look at the talent level we've had on the Texans to only be outright favorites in six games. So at this point, we're 6-1 and one under Bill O'Brien. So in the past, he's always beat the teams that he should have. And then he was always good at beating teams in the AFC South. So those are the two reasons why we have had mediocre records. And then we teams that we were not favored against, we very rarely ever pulled the upset. Now this year, all of a sudden, other than the Ravens, we've got two pretty big upsets. And even the Titans were, they, I believe they were a push. I believe they were favored by three because they had the home field advantage. But for the most part, this year has been a little bit different. Yeah, and you know, it's funny because a lot of people are like, "Oh, Bill O'Brien hasn't hasn't turned a corner. He hasn't done things. It's the same old thing, same old thing, same old thing." And it's almost as if those those fans or or people are just a little too lazy to actually dig in and kind of see the differences that have been made this year. Uh, first year with him having full control over the offense or over the roster and getting the players he wants in his on his team around the scheme that he sees will lead to the success that he has in mind. Uh, beating, you know, the Patriots, the Chiefs, uh, the Colts on four days rest, uh, the Titans yesterday, uh, competing with the Chiefs in uh, opening game on Monday night. Those are all things that, coming into the season, I don't think anybody really expected. Uh, I know nobody expected us to beat the Patriots, and I know some people felt that we could compete with the Chiefs, but we didn't just compete with the Chiefs. We, we really beat the Chiefs, and then you know, that Saints game, what an opening game that was for the season. That really said a lot about this team and this offense, uh, especially how quick they can score when everybody is healthy. And yesterday, you know, it wasn't a clean game from Deshaun at all, he'll tell you that. Uh, two extremely bad decisions. That Duke Johnson throw is, in un, like, not acceptable at all. That should have never been thrown in the first place. It was all the way across the field. There, there's just too much time for that safety to be able to make up the space needed to be able to pick that off. Uh, the, you know, the, the deflection, I mean, he was throwing it into triple coverage. The chances of that turning into anything were slim anyways, just a bad decision. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, he had a good game. He was very solid. The offense as a whole looked good. Carlos Hyde was a beast, and it really just kind of took it to the Titans. Um, you know, this team – shows up when they need to show up. And to me, I think heading into the playoffs, because it's pretty much a guarantee that we're going to make the playoffs. I was messing with the playoff machine today, and uh, I couldn't find a scenario that was feasible that made it to where we weren't making the playoffs. So this this team's going to make the playoffs. And I'd rather have a team that has – some screw-ups against the Broncos and Panthers, but against the big teams shows up because that's when you need to show up is in the playoffs. And whether it's the Bills, the Titans, the Steelers, um, 
the Chiefs. I don't. I I I feel confident going into Wild Card Weekend that we can we can win a game, and I know we're two weeks away, so we don't want to get too much into playoff talk. But I'd feel comfortable going into New England thinking that we could beat the Patriots. Only team that scares me is Baltimore, and I'm pretty sure it's they scare absolutely everybody in the AFC, and it's just because of the nightmares. Nightmare. Um, now nah, you threw me off for a second there, but yeah. Um, it's just <laughs> from the scheme, from a game we played them in. Well, just the nightmares of like from a scheme perspective, how yeah. to be able to slow that offense down. It's it's difficult. Not a lot of teams are doing it. I know the Buffalo Bills played a tight game, but outside of that, I mean, if we get them in prime time, if it's the prime time game, that is the only time that I I don't even want to say confident about, but the only time that I'd actually have hope than us beating Baltimore. We've got to figure out a way to somehow make it line up that we get to play them in prime time. Everybody else, I think that we have as good as a chance against anybody else. But with the Ravens, Deshaun would have to be at the top of his game, and we all know that he's only at the top of his game apparently in primetime football. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, the game itself, uh, it, it was a great game. Uh, obviously, there were some issues. Let's hop straight into the offense. So, Deshaun Watson, 19 to 27 for 243 yards, two TDs, two interceptions, 32 yards rushing. Like I said, not the cleanest game for Deshaun. Um, and I'm sure, without watching the film, I'm sure there was some left on the field as there has been with every game he's played. Uh, but he looked locked in yesterday. He looked decisive. He looked like he knew where he wanted to go with the ball. It helps when Carlos Hyde is able to run the ball that way he did. And he took care of business with the Kenny Steals uh, on pretty much almost the exact same uh, play design. It's almost as if Bill O'Brien heard what Mike Vrabel said in his press conference about how Bill O'Brien's not scared to do the same thing over and over again. Uh, and Bill O'Brien's like, hmm, yeah, actually, you're right. Let me let me go right back to where I, I scored seven on you earlier. Um, so... Yeah, I think overall, like with what Deshaun put on the on film and how he performed yesterday, it's it's what you want to see in a game after how he performed against Denver. You know, I watched all 22. I posted some clips. He he was awful in Denver. I mean, there, there's really no no word for it. He was not good. He was not seeing the field. And this week, you know, he was. I I I almost wonder if he's just better on the road. You know, I would. I haven't really watched the All-22 with the Denver game. Uh, just initial impressions on that, because um, I wasn't here for last week's podcast, was I'm actually not as mad at Deshaun at that Denver game. However, this week, I'm a little bit more frustrated with him because of dumb, dumb mistakes in the end zone. Because he was, he was locked in from 20 to 20, or even beyond that. But right when we got in the end zone, all of a sudden, and this hasn't been Deshaun in the past. Usually in the past, Deshaun plays better in the red zone than he does between the 20s. And this this week, I mean, both of those interceptions were just unexcusable. They were both, like he even said it, dumb, dumb plays. And to me, that kind of takes away a lot of the good that he was doing earlier. And honestly, we didn't – What's amazing about this game is we've all said all year that Deshaun has to win our games for us. Actually, Carlos Hyde won the game for us this week. Yeah. And our defense. Well, Hyde, Hop, and our defense to an extent. I mean, stopping Derrick Henry was 
exactly what this team needed to do to be able to put Ryan Tannehill in, 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 in you know, to stay in uh, the pocket and, and force him to throw. Take away that 160-yard pass, and he really didn't have a great game. Uh, he, but at the end of the day, I think with Deshaun, I mean, all the stuff about the Broncos game is accurate, and, and those are issues that he has to correct. It, when his first read isn't there, and you even saw it yesterday in a couple plays, when his first read isn't there, internally in his mind, it's almost like, okay, well, then I got to move and I got to get it going instead of – I think my biggest issue with Deshaun right now is just the fact that instead of stepping up in the pocket and climbing the pocket to make a clean throw, he tends to step to the left or to the right instead. And you can avoid a lot of sacks by just stepping up into the pocket and letting your tackles take care of the rest. He he tends to not do that. And that right now is my biggest issue. He, there haven't been protection issues. He's been fine. He's had time to throw. Uh, he's just not seeing the options that are there. And, you know, we talked about it when he was drafted, about Clemson running, a you know, a half-field uh, offense, being able to look at one side at one time and then one side the other. And he has to learn to be able to go through his reads at a very in a very quick manner and anticipate where his wide receivers are going to be and put the ball there. Right. And right now, that those are the areas where he's struggling most. And it's and okay it, that he's struggling because it's his third it's season. a little bit, though, and this isn't even on Bill O'Brien, because what Bill O'Brien has done for the first two years of with Deshaun Watson is he's done a great job of of stacking his reads. So essentially very similar to in Clemson where he's only going to look left or he's only going to look right. And you can kind of see when when those aren't there because you just watch Deshaun's head. When you start to see a quarterback looking back and forth from left to right and he's not doing it in a controlled manner, that means he's not seeing the field as he expected it to be there. And again, you're right. Half the field. You'd have every. Th- Bill O'Brien would would stack their routes either on the right side or the left side. So there's a short route, an intermediate route, and a deep route. And Deshaun would usually look for whatever route that Hopkins ran first. And now that the playbook's getting a little bit more complicated, where he's actually asking them to read more of the field, there are still times where Deshaun just wonder what he's doing and a lot of the time he has easier plays that he misses and then he scrambles around and makes a phenomenal play where he could have saved everybody including himself a lot of heartache by just hitting his initial his reads like he should yeah uh i'm starting to wonder how much of an impact kiki not being on the field is also impacting him because Kiki was kind of his security blanket, his underneath route. Um, he was there when he needed him, and a lot of times Kiki was open. You know, we talked about it a little bit as far as Wes Walker leaving and his impact on Kiki's development. Uh, I, nobody's going to be able to tell me anything. I, I don't think it has anything to do with Kenny Stills being here. Um, Wes Walker leaving has impacted Kiki Kiki, and in, in turn is, I think, impacted Deshaun Watson because we're taking away somebody who – is quick, elusive, and can run all the underneath routes that you need when you need a dump off. And, um, anyways, we we'll have a whole off season to talk about how Deshaun needs to get better and what he needs to do. Right now, we need to focus on how we handled a division rival 
uh, on the road in Nashville, and really, it really should have been a shouldn't have been as close as it was. I mean, it really shouldn't have been. No, uh, you get those two plays back in the end zone, and it it's a huge huge swing. Um, there was a point there where our defense was really stepping up and shutting them down, and right when we went up fourteen to nothing, guys, it's my fault that they came back because. I sat there and thought for a second. It's like, oh, this is about to turn into a rout. They, the Titans just looked completely overmatched by us. And then they came back out in the second half and grinded themselves back into the game. But it shouldn't have been – we should have had a three, maybe four-score lead at one point and just, you know, mistakes happened. And it's not even like the defense did anything outstanding – on the Duke Johnson play, Deshaun went with his initial read. He thought that the uh, the linebacker was going to cover Duke, and if that was the case, then that was absolutely the throw to make. But the safety bailed out and dropped into zone to cover Duke. And first off, there's credit on Kenny Vaccaro. Um, he made an absolute great play to get there and make that interception just because you design – the defense like that for him to drop back. He still had to get back there. And Deshaun yep. was a little slow getting the ball out to get it to Duke. I would argue that if he got it out just a little bit quicker or a little bit sooner, then that was still the right decision to make to throw it to Duke. He just waited until Duke settled into the end zone to throw it to him. And then the one in the traffic, I just – I to me, that – I can't defend it. There's no defending in that. I don't know what Deshaun saw because there was just a mess of people there. And he had open people on the outside. I just, I don't know. I just lack I lack of understanding on that one. Yeah, and I think on the Duke one, if I remember correctly, I haven't rewatched the game yet. I'll do it tomorrow. But I don't believe that he planted when he threw. I feel like he was kind of throwing while falling. Not necessarily falling, but just moving to the side uh, yeah, and wasn't that, able to – That bell and throw at the same up. time thing. Yeah, and not being able to put everything he had into it. Had had that happened, maybe he might have been able to zip it in. But uh, either way, those aren't your typical mistakes from Deshaun. And so that's really – like I'm not too concerned about the two plays yesterday just because those are really the first oh – God, maybe the first two this season where you're like, ah – that was it. That was just. Those were both terrible decisions. Um, Here's why they frustrate me. They weren't terrible decisions. They at were the time lazy. he threw them, they were. They were lazy. They were. I don't know. That, that was a terrible decision in the end zone. You you really well, can't. Yeah, they were. That was a terrible decision. Yeah, the uh, the jump ball, jump pass, whatever. That that was horrible, but. They were terrible decisions, but my point with them being lazy decisions was they're overconfident, like, I'm just going to make this work type deal. And we kind of talked with Desha- about Deshaun a little bit. He's got to manage his confidence level. Like, it, you've got to be confident to be a quarterback. You've got to have an extreme amount of confidence to be a quarterback in the NFL. But Deshaun sometimes, it's not almost like big-headed, but it's almost where he thinks that he's invincible at times. And he does better when he he's confident but remembers that he's human. Like he's, he's – that if he does the right things, good things are going to happen. 
when he flips it and starts to think that good things happen because of him, that's where we kind of get in trouble, where he's got to remember that if he does the right things, then the good things happen. With him. Yeah. Yeah, fair. All right, let's get to the run game, because that was really the, the shining spot of the game. Uh, Carlos High, 26 carries for 104 yards and one TD. Um, Carlos was seeing the field well. The offensive line was blocking for him extremely well. Uh, first time he's rushed for over 1,000 yards in his career. Uh, you know, had you told me that Carlos Hyde, before he got traded to us, would have a 1,000-yard season at some point in the NFL, I would have told you that you're lying. Um, but, I mean, it's nice. We talked about it when Lamar Miller went down and when we started to see what we were getting with Carlos and Duke. You know, there was no way entering the season that I would have thought these two would be able to do what they've done so far. You know, we talked about it coming off of the New England game, how that was a Duke game, not a Carlos game. And then, you know, we enter this game, and it's a, it's a Carlos game, not a Duke game. And it just shows you that this team is able to beat you in so many different ways. And unfortunately, it comes back to the consistency aspect of this team. We still truly don't know what we're going to get. But I confidently believe that this team is starting right now. And I, I don't see them stopping. I see us finishing off the season. You guys can kiss the 1-2, one, 1-2, two, one, two, one, two, you know, uh, win, lose, or lose, win, win, lose, win, win, out the door. I think this is, I think the team's starting to figure it out. I think they're starting to gel at the right time. I, the Bucks are going to be a good test just from a passing perspective, because Jameis is just throwing the ball all over the field. But luckily for us, uh, his two top wide receivers are out. But, um, you know, just back to the the run game, the fact that Lamar Miller went down and we're able to do the things that we're doing on the field right now in the run game is just, it really speaks highly to, one, the game plan and the scheme, and two, the ability of the two running backs that we added. Yeah, no, and I, I would say that I would say part of our consistency issues is kind of that philosophy that both Bill O'Brien and Rack have. It's that Patriots philosophy where you want to be good. You want to be able to attack the other team's weaknesses. So with that, that means you want to be probably about average to above average in several facets of the game. Um, being able to be a, a, short, a short passing team, a deep passing team, and instead of having that one area where you just excel – at and you try and kill everybody. And I think that's what leads to the consistency issues is because we are still a young team trying to play football in a lot of different ways. Whereas once it all clicks and everybody kind of gels, that's where you turn into a, a team. Or the goal is to turn into a team like the Patriots where you're flexible and you're able to attack when another team does well and kind of if they take something away, you just adapt and you're constantly able to adapt. And I've always... Again, I've always respected that, and I've respected part of the reason that I was excited about Bill O'Brien and as he was doing that, and he was doing that with a level of aggression up in New England that we really hadn't seen down here yet. Now, there's been flashes this year, and I think that if they get that edge, they get that aggression, and... Again, we said this two weeks ago when we beat the Patriots and we were on that super high. Like, our ceiling is 
a lot higher than we would have guessed at the beginning of the year. Like you have to give the team a whole lot of credit. For, you have, I guess you have to give Bill O'Brien a whole lot of credit for the team that he's put together. He got out of Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson what Cleveland dreamed of getting out of them. Like Carlos Hyde comes here and he rushes for a thousand yards. He's number two, or I'm sorry, number three overall in big plays. Um, that's rushes for more than 20 yards. He's behind Lamar Jackson and I believe Christian McCaffrey. Is that it? And yep. it's just who on earth would have thought that? Like the everybody thought that he was going to be a, a plotter, but no, he's just a physical runner that that eventually will break one loose. And we beat the Titans doing what the Titans apparently do to everybody else with Derrick Henry, which you know to me I think that's great that we t- that we took their identity and flipped it on them. And previously when we played the Patriots, we took the Patriots' identity. Throw into James White, and they just eat you alive with that. And we did it with Duke Johnson. Like this is that's pretty cool when it's working like that. Now well, hopefully we can just keep continuing with it. Yeah, I think the the best part about this team is that you know usually you have an identity going into the playoffs on how you play football, and I'm almost wondering if this team just because of the amount of talent on the offensive side of the ball. They have so many different ways that they can beat you that that's kind of where they struggle as far as putting an offensive game plan together because there's so many different ways that they can beat you. They can beat you on the ground. They can beat you in the passing game with just the wide receivers and tight ends. They can beat you in the passing game with the running backs. They can, there's just so many different ways for this team to beat you offensively. And it, it I don't want to say that they need to find an identity and stick to it because I don't necessarily think that that's true. I think that they can they can combine all three things. And I think the one game where we really saw all three of those phases of, of our offense in one was against the Saints. That's when you saw a run game, you saw a, a passing attack that was just unstoppable. And I, I still think that they're working on trying to figure out how that's going to happen or they know how it's going to happen. And they're just worried about getting into the playoffs. Maybe they feel like, hey, we're not. There was really no chance at us being able to get a one or a two seed. We like our chances against the Bills. I, I mean, you never know. I, I don't want to say that they're losing games on purpose, but because um, I don't believe that that's true. But you just never know what's going on in their mind there. And they have so many different ways that they can hurt you on offense. And it's interesting. I mean. You know, entering the season, we were like, okay, we know we have Fuller, we know we have Hop, we have D4, watch out for the passing attack. And then, you know, now it's – there's so many different things that we can do when it comes to the run game and with Duke Johnson at the tight ends. And then you have Fuller and Stills and Hop and a good offensive line. I don't know, man. It's it's pretty crazy to think about, you know, when you look back at where we thought we would be at the beginning of the season before even the kickoff against the Saints to where we are now. And that's with, you know, some duds in there. But a lot of teams have duds. Uh, I mean, the Packers barely beat the Bears. Like, these things happen every week. There's always a game. The Falcons just beat the Niners. Yeah, who on earth would have thought that would happen? Not Vegas, you know. So that's what I'm saying. So it just it just continues to happen. Didn't you know, the Browns beat the Ravens at the beginning of the year? The Browns beat the Ravens. The I mean, Dolphins beat the Eagles. The you know, like the Cowboys lost to what? They lost to the Dolphins too, I think. 
Um, like, it's just a weird league. And any any given Sunday, the team can just show up and just have your number. And it's all down to matchups. So, um, But, you know, with this team and where they're at now, I really believe that this is when things start to click. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised if we finish the season, the next two games, with wins. We go in, you know, hopefully the Chiefs – I think the Chiefs will lose to the Chargers in the final game of the season. But that's just my thoughts. Uh, I like the Chargers team. I know Phillip Rivers is having a bad season. But they all – division rival, they always play each other extremely tough. I wouldn't be surprised, and then maybe we can get the the three seed. But yeah, this I, offense. You know, is, I'm not even just, sure I want the three seed. When you sit there and you look at it, the only thing that I'm afraid of about having the fourth seed is wait, we would get the third seed just by winning our our conference. No, they, they're one. Uh, Kansas City's one up on us. Yeah, but they would win their conference too. Their there's division. three conference. Three divisions. There's, no, there's... Yeah. Three divisions. No, four divisions. No, four. AFC North, no, AFC right. South. Right. Sorry. Yeah, thank you. You're right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's been one of those days. Yeah, you're right. I'm sitting so, here like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, 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 I'm so you're confused. Right. You're right. Why I'm am sorry, I doubting dude. myself? I, um... <laughs> I'm like, when did it? When did it go to three? Is he Wait. talking about two, like AFC, NFC? I'm so confused. I don't. Anyway. I don't even know. I'm thinking about baseball. Um, I think. Yeah. So yeah, there's no way for us three, to get so the three I'm seed. There, there's no way for us to get the three seed unless the Chiefs lose another game and we went out, um, because then we would have the same record as them, and then we would have the tiebreaker. Yeah. So we would have the three. They would have the four. Um, but I'm okay with the four. Well, I'm okay with either one. I don't really care. I just, as long as we don't get the Texans spot, you know. We're getting Saturday, it no matter who we play. The Saturday no afternoon game, if they give us that test again, that that is what's going to kill my good mood about making the playoffs. Only way that doesn't happen is if we get a matchup against the Chiefs. Yeah. The only scenario where we play we on a Sunday to, night. Dang, that means we would have to drop. We would have to lose our next two so the Titans take the division. And then I think we still no. need help. I think I think the, the Chiefs, Bills would have to be the one in the wild card. No, I think the Bills have a way. I think the Bills have a way because they right now I think are 10 and 3 or 10 and 4. The Chiefs are 9 and 5, right? Or 9 and 4, 10 and 4. They might have the same same I don't know. There's so much that goes into it. I, I messed with it way too much. I don't know if we can get the Chiefs. But I, that's the only way we play on a Sunday night and we don't play a Saturday game is yeah. if we get the Chiefs. If we play the Steelers, no, no, if, no, we if we play, play the, the Titans, Saturday night game, I'm, we're good. I don't know if that's true. Uh, if we play the Saturday night, we're good. Well, so let's go through this. Saturday night. Let's go through this. Even though we're, we're way ahead and we're off topic, let's, let's go through, like, currently in the playoff scenario, it's Steelers, Browns, Chiefs, Texans. Those are those are the four AFC wild card teams. So if you think about from a matchup perspective, let's just say we play the Bills. Nobody wants to watch the Bills on Saturday night or Sunday night. So that's a Saturday game. If we play the Steelers with Duck Hodges at quarterback, that's a Saturday game. But it would, I think if, if it's the Steelers, it would be Saturday night. Because I don't think so. They have enough of a following that they would – 
they would be a Saturday night game. I don't think so, just because the expectation of where the team would perform. Like, that's like us playing the Raiders again with Connor Cook. It's really no different. The Raiders have a great fan base, too. Yeah, but they're a West Coast team. I don't think that matters much. So uh, what I'm saying is, is the only the only the only matchup I see where we're not playing Saturday day is the Chiefs. I can't see the Titans. I don't see that being it, especially coming off of a Week 17 game. Nobody cares to watch that again. So unfortunately, everybody be buckled in and know that we're getting a Saturday day game. And if you and, and go into it with that, and then if we get a Saturday night game, just feel blessed. But expect a Saturday day. Yeah, I hate the fact that I think you're right. It's unfortunate. But this team has done nothing in the playoffs to make anybody think that they should be anywhere else but the Saturday 3 o'clock game. You know, you, it's the Texans. Texans side. can only blame themselves. It's the Texans. That's what side. I'm saying. If you remember, though, after we played, after we beat Connor Cook, we played the Sunday night game that following week. Against the Patriots. And that was an amazing game. That was an amazing game. So, you know. Even though we lost, we almost beat the Patriots with Brock Osweiler in the playoffs. That would have been just an incredible feat. Like, that would have been something where, like, we would have told our kids about. We were like, yeah, he was was 12 for 42, but we won. (laughs) But we might still have him as our quarterback. (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. I still think he would have been traded. But either way, we don't have to worry about that. But, yeah, so I, I just don't see a scenario where we're not playing on Saturday, at least during the day. I, I'm fine with the Saturday night game, I guess. I don't know. We'll get into the listener questions because there's a question specifically around uh, Deshaun and, when you know, when we want him to play versus when we don't want him to play. So that'll be interesting. All right, Duke Johnson, two carries for four yards, two receptions, 19 yards. Like I mentioned earlier, this just wasn't the new game. Uh, this was the Carlos Hyde game. This was run it up the middle, gash them for what you can, even a couple outside runs, which I was like, ooh, wow, that's a beautiful out- – that touchdown, I was like, ooh. And then there was another t- there was another outside run where I was like, oh, that's a nine-yard game. Jeez, this Carlos Hyde looks a little bit different than the other Carlos Hyde. Um, but, all right, let's get to the wide receivers. Uh, DeAndre put on a show in the fourth quarter. Yeah. As soon as they decided not to double-team them anymore? Seriously, some of these coordinators out there, I just wonder what goes through their head. I I don't know, because it was one of those, like we talked about it versus the Patriots, when, when, when Martin's out there on, on the edge, it's like, why don't you just run the ball at him? Instead, they would continue to pass. And... With the Titans, it's one of those. It's like, hey, let's cover, let's double team Hopkins for three quarters, and he doesn't really do much. Okay, we can, we can, we can swing the guy over, and let's try and stop the run. And now Hopkins is going to gas you for two thirty-plus yard plays. So, again, these guys know more about football than I'll ever know. But sometimes I think they just have to make their lives way too difficult, and I, I'm very thankful that they did. Yeah, I think with uh, with DeAndre, um, you know, this season, with all the weapons that Deshaun has, 
uh, he knew coming in that there was just the yards and the receptions weren't going to be there for him. And, um, but yet not once this season have we heard him complain and, and we'll never hear him complain about how he's not getting the yards, the reception and, and the TDs, but um, he's having a hell of a year. And when we've needed it most, he's gotten it. And those him lining up in the slot and running a slant for first down is just like, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. Matt Waldman did a beautiful, uh, a beautiful breakdown of him uh, jabbing um, number thirty-five and run, running a slant, and basically turned thirty-five completely around, and then just got open, and he just does it with his hands. It's like a pass rusher. Um, so DeAndre had a great game. Will Fuller effects five percent. Uh, There's one thing that Waldman forgot to kind of talk about with that, and it's one of the things that you really should appreciate about Bill O'Brien's offense is as soon as he saw that that guy, that the corner was going to jam him, he turned it into a slant. Like that's how the route tree is built in a Bill O'Brien offense where if he was playing off, the route's different. If he doesn't jam him, the route, route's different. But as soon as he jammed him, he allowed Pop to essentially do that swim move into a slant and that's how the offense is designed. And that's something that I don't know. It's little things like that, that that don't get appreciated when they talk about the offense. They talk about some of the routes that are ran. But, yeah, that's one of the things that I think should be pointed out. Yeah, I think it should be pointed out, but I also think it needs to be pointed out the fact that you have to have a receiver capable of doing those types of things to be able to execute at that level. And DeAndre well, being able to make that. No, no, no. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal how – DeAndre did it. How he how he was able to break um, break contact and just turn it into a slant. But that's kind of the point of the offense is to have a flexibility, so he doesn't have to sit there and try and fight through him and run a go route or something like that. No, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is, is to have an, a wide receiver that's capable of ha- doing that to a corner to be able to set him up for the slant. You still have to have the personnel that can run that, whether it's a jam or he's playing off. Just the the ability to be able to turn oh, right. him the way he did with the jab is, and then not, slant. This is not to downplay Hop at all. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's little things like that that are a part of the offense that aren't ever appreciated. And Hopkins is a phenomenal talent, obviously. But I just wanted to point that out. That's all. Yeah. No, I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Um yeah, so Will Fuller effect five uh, receptions for 61 yards. Not the not the game where Will Fuller went crazy, uh, but his presence on the field is always felt and known. Hopefully, this is just for the rest of the season. Will Fuller is on the field, and we just see Will Fuller, and he never ever leaves the field again, um, because this this offense is just this passing attack is just completely different. But um, man, those him on those curls and out routes are just so dangerous you know what i will i will actually take that back i know we don't want him to miss any more games well if we go out and beat the bucks and we've clinched our spot i would actually be okay with him missing the next tennessee titans game because i wouldn't want to risk losing him he needs to be out there in the playoffs if he's out there in the playoffs i feel much better about everything yeah i just i don't know like how long is this dude going to take for his hamstring to get ready? Like, we've been waiting four years. 
you got to be able to go on Sunday. I'm just though. yeah, I'm just trying to stack the odds though. It's like you know, no, even, I get even, it. even if he's healthy, we need him at least for for the wild card round, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kenny Stills three for thirty five and two TDs. Like I said, um, just the amount of weapons this offense has. They have so many. They're really able to just spread the wealth. It's it's just a beautiful thing to watch. The tight ends really didn't get involved. Um, I think there was two receptions. So, I mean, the offense put together a good game outside of Deshaun's uh, laziness and uh, decision-making. But um, overall, I mean, you got the W. You got it in a hostile territory. You got it to the point where Nashville was booing. Um, and that's really all you want. You want to walk away with a win against the division rival, and especially when the playoffs are on the line. And that's what they did. So let's hop on to the defense. John, I want to ask you a question. Sorry, I'm coming down with a cold. Um, Zach Cunningham having a all-pro year? <laughs> Zach Cunningham may be the most underrated defender in the uh, AFC South. Maybe in the entire league. Yeah, I agree. I think Zach is... Just incredible. I mean, that goal line stand, uh, the recovery needed to be able to make that play on the goal line, on the reception to the tight end, and then also have the power and the ability to drive him down and not let him extend to be able to get a touchdown. Now, we, we gave up a uh, the touchdown to Tannehill on a scramble, but um, still, that play to me is – like that is the that is Zach Cunningham this season. That play itself literally tells you everything you need to know about Zach Cunningham this season. Yeah, except he can't throw a block for merciless. <laughs> yeah, he tried. You see those burners though when he, when he needed to, <laughs> he was able to get up there. <laughs> I mean, Whitney, well, Whitney should have just given the ball to Zach and let Zach run it. In. I almost wonder if that's what Zach thought was coming. Yeah, maybe. Because uh, Whitney was out of steam. But Zach could have thrown his boy a block and, you know, got him a touchdown. But it's all right. We scored on the drive. Yeah, we scored. Anything on Zach? No, you called it at the beginning of the year. You said that he was going to be the uh, the breakout player for us. Um, we definitely agreed. We've been big on him since we drafted him. And dude's a beast. I mean, dude's an absolute beast. You can kind of understand at times. Brandon McKinnon. Oh, shoot. <laughs> He's back. Oh, shoot. Granted, BMAC has upped his game this year, especially his coverage, but you can see why the Dolphins potentially thought that they could pry BMAC away is because Cunningham really has taken a step up. Yeah, and then I also think that – and I also think – I'll be honest, I think the Texans were also entertaining the fact just because they also – felt with Cole and Cunningham that they had enough. Um, and then with Adams, I think that they said to themselves, if we can include BMAC and be able to keep one of these firsts, I think I think this would be a good deal. And um, I'm glad they didn't because losing JJ, losing Clowney, basically only having Reed and Dunn for – or Reader and Dunn for our defensive line um, and being able to stop a run. Without BMAC and Zach, this team would be – 20 times worse against the run than what they have been in the last four weeks prior to this week. Yeah, no kidding. Um, but Zach and, and BMAC, I mean, they're a perfect tandem. I, I, I really hope that we don't enter the offseason 
with the intention of trading BMAC because uh, I really do like the two together. I like the camaraderie. I like the way that they're able to feed off each other. They're, they're, they're two different skill sets, but Zach's really evolved as far as a run stopper. And, yeah, I, I mean, Zach, I knew he'd be the breakout player of the year for our, this defense, and I knew he had the potential to be great. I almost think that I joked on Twitter today. I remember when we did the draft recap, uh, we were really excited about Deshaun, but I feel like we were just as excited about Zach Cunningham, and uh, he's he's been worth every single ounce of of that pick. I mean, he's he's great. He's he's just great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, granted, take that draft podcast with a little bit of a grain of salt because we were also high on Foreman. Well, we had every reason to be high on Foreman. Had he not got hurt, we don't know. Uh, and he also got he also ended up like Kiki and was in the, in the Bill O'Brien doghouse. And once you're there, there's really no coming out. Granted, and so far, if you end up in the Bill O'Brien doghouse, it's usually for a good reason. Unless you're Clowney, but yeah. You know, Clowney, I don't think ever was. Oh. The doghouse. Don't. Oh, he was in. The, he was in the emotional, personal doghouse. Yes, maybe not from a play perspective. I think the doghouse Clowney was in was a lot different than the clown than the doghouse that Jalen, Kiki, and um, God, who were we just talking about? Foreman. Foreman. I think those three are were in a performance doghouse. I think Clowney was in a personal doghouse. That no player has seen so far this year since the Bill O'Brien tenure. Maybe DJ. I think DJ was in that doghouse too, actually, a little bit. <laughs> but um, South Carolina boys, that's what happens. Uh, all right. So, yeah, Zach Cunningham, all pro year, uh, you know, top five in tackles. Uh, uh, there was a stat out there, and I wish I would have screenshotted it so I could have had it for the podcast tonight. But there was something about um, his run stop percentage. It was a very interesting stat. I should have, I should have, I should have tied you in, and I didn't. But um, yeah, he's having a great year. Uh, stopping Derrick Henry, I, I honestly, I knew that would be the game plan, right? Because that's just that's the game plan when you play the Titans is to stop the massive linebacker that plays running back, and um, but the ability to do it was always a concern. And eighty-six yards, you know. Great, and here's the stats that really matter about stopping Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry had 15 carries for 45 yards on first and 10. Wow. Just wow, I didn't realize, wow. 15 carries for 45 yards on first and 10. His long carries were 11 and 6 yards on first draft. So the other 13, first and 10s, Henry had 28 yards on 13 carries. That's how you beat the Titans. Yeah, I mean, Tannehill isn't as he's a step up from Mariota, but I mean, let's be let's be honest, he wasn't coming in and he's not really the savior. He's not gonna win the games for them. He needs Derrick Henry. He's the consistent piece that was missing at quarterback. Average every week, above average sometimes. That's Ryan Tannehill, 
and they weren't getting that from Mariota. So now that they're getting that from Tannehill out of the fact that Eric Henry's good, you have a pretty balanced offense, and you can win some games. Um, all right, DJ Reader continues to be a beast. Um, the, I think – God, I hope this isn't an overstatement, but I think Justin Reed's best game was Sunday. And I mean, just just take out the hit on the goal line, and popping the interception into Whip. Man, he was he was all over the field on Sunday. I mean, all over. Yeah, he was like that against the Patriots as well. So I'd actually yeah. put a, I'd put a toss up between that and the Patriots. Granted, during the Patriots, Roby really. That was absolutely. a Roby game. So yeah, okay. I think you can give it to him for the for Tennessee. Yeah. Um, so it's great to see Justin being able to show up in a big spot. Um, the Whitney interception, I think, was the was the key to the game. That moment right there is kind of what, what started it all. And it's funny when you look back at the Patriots game, which you just referenced, the play that started it all there was a Roby pick. When this team gets turnovers, things start to click on both sides of the ball. Um So yeah, but the witty the witty interception was great. Um, Trying to think of what else on defense. You know, I think the corner showed up. I, I I don't think the corners had a bad day. I I really honestly at this point in time with the corners, you can't ask your corners to cover for six seconds and expect to be able to do it. No, we. This game made me really, 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 really miss JJ. Um, there was times there where the corners definitely had them all locked down. Um, Roby was the only corner, I believe, that has busted out of the rotation. However, just having one player on the field pretty consistently seemed to make a big, big difference. Uh, Lonnie Johnson wasn't in the rotation at all. However, he had one of the biggest plays on special teams. A big play. Yeah. I lo- and I knew that was coming, too. Oh, yeah, we all did. You know, Vrabel's remembering last year, you know, they won the game. And he just yep. he had to go back to the well. Yep. But I was sitting next to Titans fans at Twin Peaks watching the game, and I was like, ah, ha-ha, you guys thought that bullshit was going to work again this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they fixed uh, that issue where last year they were belling on the Gunners. Right, and, and it also helps, like, when Lonnie Johnson is 6'3 and has, like, a 63-inch reach on, on his arms. I mean – like he's like a he has got like two anacondas on his arms, uh, extremely long, extremely physical. His recovery to be able to go up and be able to make that play, but then the uh, ability to um, to be able to knock it down and not make the catch for the interception, it's huge. Yeah, that he kept his wits about him and did that, and you just gotta. You got to give him all the credit in the world. He looked like a like a big brother out there playing with his little brothers. <laughs> He's just gonna go up there, grab the ball, throw it down. Like you ain't getting that by me. Yeah, no, it was a that was a big play. That was a big play, and good job for for the special teams to to be ready to make that play and and saw it coming. Um, you know, I know there hasn't been a lot of talk about the special teams this this year as far as. Uh, I think a lot. I think a lot of people, when it comes to special teams, just think of returns on punts and kickoffs. Uh, but there's really been, outside of the Denver game, 
the special teams has been extremely solid this year. Not not a lot of big returns. Um, you know, Colin Gillespie has been a special team standout. Uh, Lonnie Johnson on that play. Just the special teams has been good for us this year, and it's nice to see because prior to last year, I don't know if we've ever been able to say we've had a good special teams year. Yeah. No, Brad Seeley has been worth every penny we've paid him. So, um, and then I also think Rack deserves some credit for this game, too. I mean, you know, I don't think people realize how hard it is to be able to build a game plan without any pass rush. <laughs> I mean, we really, we really truly have zero pass rush. None. Like, yes, Jacob Martin on third down once a game has been really good. But really, outside of that, from a pass-rushing perspective, this team is not good. They are not good. They cannot get pressure on the quarterback with just a four-man rush. And come the playoffs, hopefully J.J. does come back because that's got to change if you're going to win a game in the playoffs. Yeah, you bring J.J. to this team right now, and his ability to generate a pass rush, and all of a sudden our defense leaps and bounds better. And with what Rack has to do right now is he's got to he's essentially he had to kind of take a guess before the game. Are they going to be? Does he want to blitz more to try and disrupt the pass but get burnt on the run, or have them stay back, have no pass rush whatsoever without the blitz, but be able to control the run? And he guessed correctly. Granted, I I think we could all could have guessed correctly that. The Titans' game plan goes through Derrick Henry, but it was also having enough faith in our corners to be able to hang with those receivers and just not give them any easy passes to take other than three out routes in a row to A.J. Brown. Yeah, I was really upset we didn't tr- claim Terrell Suggs. I, was I really, really thought... shocked by that. He must really have met that comment out there that he was saying that unless it was the Ravens, he would just retire if anybody else picked him up. There must, but it doesn't must matter. Be truth to that. It doesn't matter if that's true or not. Either way, your road to the Super Bowl or is through the Ravens most likely. So even if that's the case, if you sign him just to keep him away, if he does not suit up, it's a win-win either way. And this team has the cap space to spend 635k on a position of need and hope that he would play. Especially with, and this was kind of where my mind was. If J.J. does come back, and you can add Terrell, and you have Witt, now you're looking at at least an above-average pass rush. And in the playoffs, add that with the secondary, and you really have everything you need on defense with BMAC and Zach, the secondary, and then our safeties are playing well. You know, I don't know. I, I was very disappointed that he we didn't claim him. I knew we weren't going to claim Janoris Jenkins, and honestly, I wasn't too worried about it. I know a lot of people saw a big-name cornerback on the market, so they thought, oh, this would have been a good move. This back, I mean, this secondary is crowded right now, and there's some decisions to be made next year. You, on top of that, he you know, he got cut for, for basically doubling down on a tweet about something about retarded. And anybody that knows Bill O'Brien and what he's dealt with at, with his son, now his son doesn't have Down syndrome, but at the same time, there is absolutely no way Bill O'Brien was going to sign a player like that to put on his team. Yeah, it just wasn't going to happen. 
That was the that was the easy easy money. Easy um, money, easy money. Um, speaking of easy money, I I, I should make five hundred dollars at some point. Um, just not sure when. On this bet I made with some guy on Twitter. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, I think that's really it about the game. Let's get to our listeners' favorite part of – oh, no, let's get into this real quick. Uh, press conference and social media topics. Uh, Bill O'Brien said today that what he will say is J.J. is working extremely hard on doing everything he can and that because of who he is um, and his work ethic and the people he has around him, uh, J.J. is in a good spot basically. A.K.A. if J.J. needs to come back for the playoffs – they're pretty confident he'll be able to. Yeah. I, that would just – it's too good of a story for J.J. to pass up. <laughs> it just feels like such a J.J. move. Oh, it's a J.J. moment. If there's like, ever been a J.J. moment, this is a J.J. moment. That Yeah. That yeah. – So, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We're two weeks away. He's got to be – I think he has to be activated by a – Next Monday, I believe. He gets to start practicing this week, so. The 23rd, he has to be activated off of IR. So we will see. Yeah. All right. AFC South update. Texans are 9-5. and five. Titans are 8-6. and six. Colts are 6-8. and eight. And the Jags are 5-9. and nine. The Colts are about to be 6-9 and nine as they are getting flabbergasted in uh, New Orleans right now by the Saints. I believe it's 29-0. to zero. Uh... All right, listener questions. This is why you guys are here. Uh, Twitter, at the Air Joe. Your opinion. With Omenihue, Martin, and Watt on the roster next year, several guys to lock up, Reader Fuller, Roby, Tunsil, and Watson coming up next. A potential stellar secondary with Conley, VH3, Lonnie, and Roby. Do you see us going after a premium pass rusher like Nigakwu? Or try to get a secondary solution like re-signing Merck, signing a middle prize free agent, or take another pass rusher in the mid-rounds. John? Well, seeing as how we tend to copy the Patriots' thinking on just about everything, we're not going to spend big on a free agent pass rusher. I just I don't, yeah. I don't, see, I don't see that happening. I, I would be less surprised by it because with Bill and Brian in charge, they have been a lot more aggressive going out and getting what they need. But breaking the bank to bring in a pass rusher, I just, I don't see it. Well, and on top of that, when you look at the moves that Bill O'Brien made, they're all pretty much like really solid budget moves. Um, there's not a lot of money uh, in, in, in any of the moves he made outside of Tunsil. And that was something that he was going to have to do anyways. Um, I also wouldn't lock down Roby as being back next year if I had to guess right now. Um, I would I, – here's how I – well, so let, there's a couple parts to this. One, uh, it, it's pretty funny that Mike Garofolo, uh decided to tweet out something that I mentioned a month ago that Nick Casario has turned down an extension with the New England Patriots. Yet nobody, nobody wanted to run with that story from this podcast, but yet – here it is a month later. Yesterday, Mike Garofalo uh, decided to tweet that out. 
So there's a lot of moving pieces in the front office right now. Uh, Nick Casario is still the target of the Texans. It may not be for just a GM role. There's uh, other potential things that could be happening. Uh, a lot of moving pieces in the front office all around, whether it be um, – well, I don't want to get into that yet. We have a whole offseason, but lots of moving pieces. So Casario could easily be running the show, and, and the philosophy could easily change again. I will say this, though. I think there are two names that I would watch in free agency that I think would be ideal fits for, for this team. One is Calais Campbell, who is going to get cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's 36 years old. He's still got a lot in the tank, and he would be a perfect fit for this defense. The second is, and I don't know if the Titans will do this, but I hope that he does, or that they do, uh, John Robinson. I hope they don't resign Jarrell Casey. Jarrell Casey would be I honestly can't think of another free agent that I would rather have opposite of J.J. Watt than Jarrell Casey. That only makes too much sense, so it won't happen. Well, the only reason I I think it might is because I don't think he's going to break the bank. I mean, he's he's an older guy, too. Yeah, and that, again, we've kind of seen that the, uh, the Texans value dollars more than they value draft picks. So I can see them spending that sort of money if it's not necessarily budget, but not having to be a huge overpay for for proven veteran players. I think that that's the mold and that they're going to try to take advantage of, similar to how the Patriots have. So, yeah, Darrell Casey, I agree, would be a perfect Perfect. Him and Calais Campbell, either one. Heck, if we're going to dream, why not dream for both of them? My only concern is after what DJ Reader's going to command, how much money they've got to set aside for Tunsil, and of course Watson. And I actually don't think Fuller's going to be that expensive. Well, isn't Fuller's fifth-year option next year? Yeah. Yeah, it is. it's his fifth year, but they're still going to have to re-up him. They won't have to re-up him next year. Just like they don't have to re-up Deshaun. Everybody's right. assuming that they're going to re-up Deshaun next year. Yeah, but I'm even thinking that it seems like their their plan has been to constantly roll over as much cap space as they can to take care of these big contracts when they all hit. Well, that's an assumption from the outside. Again, and we don't know for sure. Right. If that may decide that, depending on how this season goes and how this playoff goes, that Next year is their year to go all in, and and they splurge. Well, and also you got to keep in mind with if if Casario comes, the philosophy of draft picks not meaning much could easily change as well because the one thing that the Patriots do tend to value is draft picks as they want as many shots as possible to hit on somebody. Correct. They they like to the draft redundantly and correct. I think at this point, though, it's a little bit too early to try and predict what we're going to do in the offseason because we don't know how this season's going to shake out and what what they decide our crippling flaw was that gets us bumped out of the playoffs. Yeah. No, I agree. All right. Um, John, this question is for you. It's from Mo B. Texan 1911 uh, He actually asked me to ask you this three weeks ago, and I, I totally forgot. Um 
Can you guys discuss what John meant about this being B.O.B.'s draft and not Gaines? I still think we need a GM, but if they can find a guy that can evaluate like Gaines but have the ex- executive skills of Smith, we could be set for the future. So there was rumors that certain players, especially uh, Titus Howard, were higher on Bill O'Brien's board than they were on Brian Gaines. And part of the reason that Brian Gaines left was Bill O'Brien supposedly felt like he kind of took over the draft. And that's not what he was wanting to do or looking to do. And that's what happened. And again, these are rumors that are unsubstantiated. And the people that I heard them from through like Twitter conversations, I would trust. But at the same time, it could have been Brian Gain just kind of floating him out there in case the draft class tanked. And so he could say, see, it wasn't actually my class. So it could have been either way, but the rumor was that Bill O'Brien had way more input on the drafts than the guys we actually picked than Brian Gain did. And that was kind, well, of, a I think, that was kind of a breaking point. And I also think if you just kind of look at the way that the team is shaping up from a personnel perspective right now with the draft picks, um, if this was a Brian Gain draft, then I don't think that we would be in a situation where Brian Gain is no longer here. Uh, this was a Bill O'Brien draft, just looking at the personnel and the players that were taken and where they're playing and how they're slotted right now. Um, so, yeah. All right. Uh, from Discord, Renee Coral. Earlier in the season, we heard a rumor that Deshaun will maybe stay out a little too late before football games, especially for home games. You shrugged it off, but I was wondering if you still feel the same at this point of the season. Um, the only reason I, I shrugged that off is because it wasn't a rumor. It was just somebody basing their opinion off of what they saw on Instagram. Um, I don't think that you can – these aren't live photos. We're not talking about Deshaun Watson streaming live from the club. We don't know when those took place. You know, that could have taken place Friday night and he posted them Saturday night. People do that a lot. So I, I just thought it was, uh, from a journalistic aspect, a very uh, irresponsible thing to put out there. Um, and, and obviously it was Pat. Pat's the only one that put it out there, and he said it on the podcast. Um, I don't know if that's the case. Like, I, I understand he's 24, so he, he, he might be going out. But, you know, this is a guy who graduated from Clemson three years in, decided to graduate a year early. Uh, put in the time and everything he needed to be able to accomplish that. I don't expect that. I, I, I don't think that that mindset changed when he came to the NFL. Um, and I don't I don't think that that's really a thing. I will say this, though. Uh, Jason Braddock posted this tweet, and I thought this was pretty interesting. So take take from it what you will. Deshaun Watson in 2019, Sunday noon kickoffs, four wins, four losses. 10 passing TDs, 9 interceptions. All other games, 5 wins, 1 loss, 16 passing TDs, 2 interceptions. So that tells a little bit of a different story than what I was referencing. I don't know if it's him going out or if it's more him less mentally prepared or the lights aren't as big. Um, I'm honestly not quite sure but I thought that that was a very interesting tweet by Jason. Yeah, and when we try and guess at that, it's all speculation. We really don't... don't, Yeah, I don't talk to Deshaun. We don't... 
And I I felt as though it was kind of like a lazy take to say, hey, I see him partying on Instagram. That's why he's not doing as well. Or he has people at the game, and so he seems distracted. I don't I don't think it's that. I do think it is interesting. And it just maybe if you even look back at Clemson's games, Clemson never played the early games. They always played late. I mean, that's what happens when you win all the time. You play late. You play the games that are on TV. You play, play the, uh, the games that are on the primetime TV spots. And I think maybe it's just you go from Friday night lights to Saturday playing late afternoon Saturday, Saturday night. That's just how he's grown up. And you get to the NFL and you got to play these day games. And against tougher competition. And just maybe there is something to that. And it could just be something of his routine. I really don't know. Or it could just be the quantity because he plays so many more day games. But I really don't, I don't have a reason for it. And I just find it maybe late. I don't, I don't know. Maybe disrespectful is a better word for it when you accuse it. So I go, he's out there partying. It's lazy. That? No, it's, la- it's lazy. It's lazy journalism. And it, it's funny because it comes from a guy who um, will not, truly criticize this team. It comes from a guy who's very friendly about what he says. He'll do everything he can on Twitter to defend this team. Like today and all day yesterday, all he's done is defend the Lermy-Tunsil trade. Instead of understanding that you could see both sides of it, right? The team should have been in a position where they needed to trade for Lermy-Tunsil. That is a true statement. The team should not have been in a position where they had to trade to first and a second for Lermy-Tunsil. But you can also make the argument that they were in the position and they did what they needed to do to take care of it and add a left tackle to the scheme to protect their biggest investment at, at the quarterback position. But for somebody like him to defend, defend, defend the Texans, but then throw something out there that is so lazy and irresponsible, is it's mind-blowing to me the fact that somebody is willing to go that far as to say that that's what's happening. And that's coming from somebody, like I follow a ton of celebrities on Instagram. It's one of the big, I love I love rap. I follow a ton of rappers. They, they post a lot of times the next day things that happened the night before. So to assume that that was happening Saturday night is just, it's pure lazy. That's all there is to it. It's a lazy take. Yeah, and... Again, Deshaun messes with people with his Instagram. I mean, I remember a couple of years back when when Pat was saying, oh, it looks like he's out there in Switzerland, where, where Deshaun was just using the geotag, and you could tag yourself anywhere in the world. He, he, was never in, he wasn't in Switzerland at the time. He just put oh, it yeah, on yeah, Instagram. For, what was yeah. it for? It was about a surgery, right? Yeah, like that he was over there getting that special European treatment or whatnot. And it's like, dude, you know, it's like, Come on, don't use Instagram as, as your source, <laughs> especially when I'm not sure you quite understand how it works. Right. No, I agree. All right. Um, so hopefully that answers your question. All right, last question from the Discord, Nacho Debro. Since I am confused with how this team is playing, it leaves me with only one question. What does young Ari Gold and Garnet Texan mean? Just out of curiosity. Uh, I'm surprised that three years in, three and a half years in, this is this is the question we got from you, Nacho. Um, so for me, young Ari Gold, my favorite TV character of all time is Ari Gold from Entourage. 
and it's been my Instagram for nine years, ten years, whenever Instagram started, and it's been my email address for about eleven. Uh, so that's where mine came from, John. And it's just simply um, Garnet from South Carolina. I've had kind of like a combination of Reddit names over the years. Like one was Cocky Texan, one was Dumb Spiro Sparrow. Um, I don't know. When we started the podcast, we started it through our Texans. We started, that's how we met. And we just kind of rolled with the names we were using at the time on Reddit. And, you know, I I have no special meaning. If you've listened to every part, every podcast, I always go by my actual name. James still calls me Garnet Texan. And I'm cool with it. It's like I have nothing against it, but it, it literally just comes from uh, – Garnet for South Carolina because Garnet on game days was big when I made the name and Texan. I'm from from Texas. All right, there you go. All right, this week, big week uh, uh, against Tampa Bay in Tampa Bay. Coming off of Jameis is the first quarterback to throw for over 450 yards in back-to-back games. I'm about to sneeze. And now I'm not sneezing. Um, coming off of uh, back-to-back 450-yard games, uh, he's he's having a good year throwing the ball yardage-wise, touchdown-wise, but he's also having a terrible year in interceptions, which pretty much would have been a predictive narrative to have around Jameis Winston anyways, as anybody that has followed his career knows that he is a risk-taker when it comes to throwing the ball. Um the biggest thing to take away from this is that Mike Evans and Chris Godwin are out for this game, um, which are his one and two options. They may have to throw to O.J. Howard now. Not sure how that's going to go, as nobody throws to O.J. Howard for some reason to Tampa Bay, even though he is one of the more talented tight ends in the league. Um, this will be a good test for this team on defense. It'll be good to see where the secondary is, uh, but keep in mind, like, if if these if these corners get roasted, don't think for a second that it's because they suck as corners. <laughs> you have to be able to generate a pass rush, and I don't think that we'll be able to do it. No, he, this game should be a shootout. The uh, Jameis is going to throw the ball a lot. He's going to end up with a lot of yards. the uh, the The catch will be is whether or not we can pick him off or not. If our secondary goes out there and plays like we expect them to do. Yes, he's going to throw for over 300 yards, but he's also going to end the day with two or three picks. Now, if those two or three picks don't happen, then we're probably going to be in trouble because he's still going to throw for those 300 and some odd yards. But if you just look at his season, they should happen, and I hope they happen because that will make me feel as though our secondary isn't just playing to the level of competition. Yeah, I think, uh, and then just another key part of that, you know, he, he's going to throw picks. We're, we're going to pick him off. It's pretty much guaranteed. Uh, it, it's going to be about turning those picks into points. And if we can do that, I think this 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 will be a this will be a game that we should win pretty quickly or pretty pretty easily. Um, but you know, not much of a run game to worry about. Uh, we should be able to run the ball on them. Uh, we should be able to throw the ball on them. There should be no struggles from our offense um, this game. Um, only only concern I have is from a offensive line perspective is if we could slow down their pass rush because they do have a pretty good pass rush. Um, I think Shaq, I think Barrett, Shaq, is, Shaq Barrett, yeah. He's just he's made himself a whole bunch of money. A whole bunch. 
whole bunch. You have to wonder how much of that is Todd Bowles. But, um, yeah, no. So, But the Texans should win this game. Uh, this is another game where the Texans should win. So hopefully we don't have another Denver uh, collapse. Um, I'll be whale watching while also watching this game uh, at the same time as I totally forgot we played on Saturday when I bought our whale watching tickets uh, in California. So I do have an agreement in place with my wife to have one AirPod in while I am whale watching with my family on vacation. Yep, and I will be in Tennessee. So hopefully I actually get to watch the game and not have to watch the recording. Yep, this is the first time in, I think, 11 years I will not be able to watch the game. I'll be listening to it on the radio. Is what it is. It happens. Yeah. You can't watch uh, it on your um, phone? I, I don't know if I'm going to have good enough cell service 10, 15 miles out, offshore. Uh, that's true. True, true. So um, I'll probably delete Twitter and all that stuff and then just watch it after. But um, <laughs> All right. Uh, John, anything else? No, I think we're good. Okay. Um, I will be out next week. We have a special guest filling in uh, with John next week. Uh, and then I'll be back for after the Titans game. Um, yeah, we are still looking for somebody with a marketing background. If anybody has a marketing background and wants to uh, lend their services to us to try to help us grow the podcast, um, I, I could really use some help as far as from a marketing perspective. Uh, so let me know if anybody's interested. Send an email to james at texansunfiltered.com. Uh, we do have one guy who's helping us, thank God, from our Discord, uh, Electrical Engineered, uh, so we appreciate it. But uh, any other help that we could get would be awesome. So with that being said, signing off for Texans Unfiltered this week, I am Young Ari Gold. We will catch you guys next week.